Well, good morning and welcome to Yonville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here, and uh, uh, it is so good to have you with us as we set aside time to draw near to our Heavenly Father, to hear Him speak through the Bible, and to pour out our hearts to Him in prayer. Uh, we would love to know that you've been with us today, so uh, as always, head to our website, yonvillechurch.org, and fill out a Connect card. Uh, we'd love to know how you're going, how we can pray alongside you, how can we can help you take the next steps in faith. As our church reopens in the next few weeks after a long period of quarantine and COVID and also a rebuilding project, uh, we really long to become the kind of church that welcomes everybody in the doors. Uh, that takes effort. And so on Tuesday, the 29th of June, uh, my wife and I will be running uh, a training session and a prayer night uh, that is designed to help us think about what it means to become a welcoming church and what we can each do to participate in that process. Uh, we've learned a lot from this little book by Tom Rayner, um, Becoming a Welcoming Church. And part of joining the training means you can uh, get access to one of these books. Uh, it's our gift to you. Uh, so we'd love you to register for that. And uh, again, you can do that through the Connect card. Well, this morning, we have uh, a very special guest preacher joining us all the way from Australia uh, via the internet, of course. Uh, a good friend of mine, Hayden Smith, uh, senior pastor at a church in Sydney. Uh, he's going to be opening the book of Ezekiel for us. So why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, as we come to hear your word today, will you open our hearts to what you have to say? Will you teach us what it means to uh, long for eternal life? And Father, help us to trust in the promises of Jesus every day. Amen. Uh, well, I'm here with Hayden Smith, a senior minister at Emmanuel Church, Glenhaven in Sydney, Australia. Welcome. Uh, I believe, and I can tell from your cardigan, that you are having some very different weather than we have uh, right now in Northern California. Uh, yes, uh, you might think that Sydney is all beaches and sunshine, but it's um, eight degrees today, which is a little brisk. That's like 46 in Fahrenheit, I think. Um, it's not, it's not uh, Fahrenheit, that would be really cold. It is cardigan weather. That's, that's all I know. Um, it's lovely. Hayden and I have known each other for um, quite some time. We first ministered together in an inner city church uh, when we were Bible college mm. students back in 2009. And, uh, yes. and then almost a decade later, we were, uh, had the opportunity to be on staff together uh, in a larger suburban church uh, for a couple of years. Uh, Hayden led the mission trip to Fiji uh, that has featured in a sermon or two of mine. And, uh, and we also played rugby together. Uh, lots of history. Hayden is a, a a man of the word, he's a, a man of the gospel, um, somebody I esteem greatly, and uh, so thanks for being with us today. No worries. Um, thank you so much, uh, Dan, and to the church there at Yontville for inviting me to come and share with you today. Um, it brings me great pleasure. Dan and his family, uh, Joe and Charlotte and Jamie, have been a great blessing to my family, and I've learned a lot from Dan along the way. Um, he's a man who loves God's word, which is such an encouragement to me. He's a man who is serious about godliness and his leadership is marked by following Jesus. Um, St. Paul says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ and you could do far worse than following after Dan. And one of the things I appreciate most about him um, is he serves 
with a, uh, well, Lord Jesus, Jesus talks about being a servant um, and Dan is a man who is willing to serve. And that's something that I really appreciate. So Dan, it's a joy to be back uh, being teammates again, as it were. Uh, you are going to share with us from the book of Ezekiel, uh, just a one-off sermon. Yeah. Uh, why Ezekiel? Uh, I just to study Ezekiel uh, over the past few years, in part because um, the book of Ezekiel is written in the context of significant political and religious turmoil. Um, that which they thought they knew had been overturned. The people had been exiled and they had all sorts of questions and all sorts of fears about what the future would hold and whether God could be trusted in that. And um, I'm not a prophet, but I look at the world that we're in and I see a lot of political and I see a lot of social and religious turmoil, things that we assumed and believed, Judeo-Christian values that were there for many years and now no longer um, accepted. And indeed, in many contexts, openly challenged and it would be easy for us as God's people to be fearful but Ezekiel brings a message that says even in that time of great change that he wants his people to know that he is sovereign all-powerful that he is good and he has not forgotten them so I think that's a message of great encouragement to the Lord's people at this time well thank you so much for your uh, time in preparation thank you for sharing God's word not at all a blessings to you and your church and your family thank you uh, we will have we'd love to see you here in person sometime well well i've had um i've had one vaccine so we'll have the second one and then we'll see if we can organize some flight tickets how about that exactly hello welcome to church my name's hayden thanks for tuning into emmanuel today we're looking at ezekiel chapters 36 and 37 a very famous passage, Ezekiel is in the Valley of Dry Bones. It's a story that addresses a tricky but an important issue, namely that of death. But let me start by telling you a story. Early in the, earlier this week, I was eating my dinner. Nothing spectacular about that, but I broke my tooth. I had to go to the dentist, get it fixed, get my first filling. And as one member of staff unsympathetically said, well, you are almost 40 now, Hayden. This is the beginning of the end. Um, I hope it's not the end yet. I mean, that remains to be seen. But it's certainly true that for each of us, the end is coming. Um, there's a French uh, atheist philosopher. He used to be the education minister in France. He's written a best-selling book called A Brief History of Thought. His name is Luc Ferry, and he writes the following. The problem of death remains unresolved. Edgar Allan Poe, is one of, in one of his most famous poems, The Raven, conveys this idea of life's irreversibility. There's a sinister raven perched on the window's ledge and it says over and over again, nevermore. Poe, according to Luke Ferry, is suggesting that death means everything is unrepeatable and death is in the midst of life. That even in the middle of life, even in the middle of the joy of the very moments in which we live, we know that death is coming. It's not a very comfortable thought, is it? And the question is, how do we respond to this unresolved problem? Many of us bury our head in the sand, but Ezekiel says there's another way that we can address our own death, uh, face it and respond in some way. Well, let's look what Ezekiel says. God gives Ezekiel a vision. He's in a valley it's a dry and desolate valley. And as he looks down at his feet, he sees there in the dust a bone. And perhaps uh, a cattle or a wild animal has wandered into this valley looking for water and unable to find it, has died there. 
But then he realized that the bones at his feet are actually human bones. Hands, feet, skulls, ribs, and not just a few, but many, many bones. In fact, as he looks out, he sees broken skeletons as far as the eye can see. Any flesh has gone a long time ago, decomposed. It's been picked clean by wild animals. The bones have been bleached by wind and sun. And Ezekiel realizes that he is standing in the middle of a mass grave. The Lord tells Ezekiel to inspect this scene. And as he wanders around, he sees thousands and thousands of dead. They've been massacred. Even their bodies weren't treated to a proper burial with respect. They've been left to rot in shallow graves like animals. You see, the Lord is showing Ezekiel a vision of what is literally the valley of the shadow of death. And then God speaks to Ezekiel and he says to him, son of man, which just means man or human being. It's a reminder to Ezekiel of his mortality. The living God is speaking to Ezekiel who is taken from dust and to dust he will return. And what will God say to this person made of dust, speaking to this scene made of dust and bones? Well, he asks Ezekiel a question. Can these bones live? The answer at one level is obvious. Ezekiel knows that dead people do not return to life. And this is not a dead person. It's not even a skeleton. It is bones scattered. This is the scattered remains of a long dead civilization. So Ezekiel knows in his mind the answer is no. But he also knows to whom he's speaking. This is God who brings forth life from death. And so he hedges his bets and he says to God, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so God commands Ezekiel to speak, which is strange because to whom is he going to speak? Only God is there with him, but he is told to speak to the bones. This is what he's told to say. Verses four and six. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know, that famous phrase from Ezekiel, then you will know that I am the Lord. And then in verses 7 and 8, something astonishing happens. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Something miraculous has happened, but if you don't like grisly scenes, this one's even worse than the former one. Where previously there were bones, now there are bodies. Lifeless, skin and glazed over eyes, piled upon each other. But God commands Ezekiel to prophesy over these lifeless bodies. Verse 9, this time speaking to the wind, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And... <gasps> great gasp fills the valley. See, son of man, can these bones live is the question. Ezekiel surveys the valley of dry bones, only now where there are bones, there is an army standing on its feet. A great nation stands before him, proud and dignified, standing as one people. The wind has come. The breath has come. The spirit of God has come. And brought life. But what does this vision mean? 
Well, in verse 11, we discover that the bones belong to the people of Israel. And they are dead in a particular sense. Let me read to you from verse 11. The people cry out, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. They are dead in the sense that their hope is gone. What does that mean? Well, if you remember in the history, the nation of Israel was divided into the northern kingdom, which has been destroyed, and the southern kingdom. And even the southern kingdom, the capital of the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, has now been destroyed. We learned that last week. Now it seems the only remaining Israelites are in captivity here in Babylon. There are people without land, there are people without freedom, there are people without dignity, and especially there are people without hope. They are, metaphorically speaking, a dead people. And the question that, is, that begs is this, can this dead people live? Son of man, can these bones live again? But it's not just their geopolitical situation that is the source of their death, that is describing their symbolic death. No, there's a worse issue here. Because remember from last week and the previous weeks, there is an issue with idolatry. There is an issue with their hearts. I'll read to you from Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27, the previous chapter. God says, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all of your idols. And listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Why would they need a new heart and a new spirit? Because I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Spiritually speaking, Israel are dead. They're not sick. They're not unwell. They are dead. Their heart is made of stone. His spiritual life, religious vitality, faith and trust and delight in the Lord, that died a long time ago. This is the real problem for Israel. Their geopolitical situation is not the real problem. That is but a symptom. The real problem is that their hearts have forgotten how to love and how to trust in the Lord. There's a symmetry in the way that we think about people. A spiritual state has a profound impact on our physical state. The latter is an expression of the former. But here's the good news for Israel. God promises to give them a new spirit. God promises, in fact, to give them His spirit. Can you see that there in verse 27? Ezekiel 37 verse 1. I, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, but see verse 14. I will put my Spirit in you, and you will live. It's the Spirit who leads Ezekiel to the valley. It's the Spirit who brings this people back to life again. And then as you look at verses 25 to 28, God promises that he'll bring this nation to life again. That in verses 15 to 24, he will bring together the two nations, the northern and southern, and they will be one again. And they will live a blessed and prosperous life. There's the promise of peace, that they'll return home to Jerusalem again. That for generations to come, a king would come and lead them. Son of man, can these bones live? Can this people who are without hope return home and once more trust in God? and sing songs of praise to him. That's the hope 
That's the hope that Ezekiel has and he brings. And what did hap- what happened? Well, some 80 years later, a new king came to the throne. And that king, in God's sovereignty and providence, let Israel return home again, let this people return to Jerusalem. There was a renewed spiritual zeal. The city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. The temple, which was raised to the ground, was restored. You can read all about that in the book of Ezra. But somehow it didn't live up to expectations. You see, many of the older Jews who remembered the old city, who remembered the old temple in all of its glory, looked at this new city, the new wall, the new temple, and they knew that its glory paled in comparison. They were promised an abundant life, and what they received was a meager life. Maybe Ezekiel's prophecy wasn't right. Maybe what we've seen is resuscitation, but not a renewal of the glory and life and abundance that Ezekiel promised. But 600 years later, after Ezekiel first saw visions of God, and the city he prophesied would be destroyed, outside those rebuilt city walls, a man. A man was charged with blasphemy and inciting rebellion, and that man was crucified. And that man's body was taken by the centurion, by Joseph of Arimathea, and laid in a tomb. And then the question. The question that's asked in Ezekiel 37, but is asked by every person who comes and does business with Jesus. The question you must answer. See, as you see them take his body and lay it in the grave, and as we wait from Good Friday to Easter Sunday, the question begs, how will you answer this question? Can these bones live? Can the Lord Jesus come to life again? You see, the resurrection changed forever the way the world thinks about life and death. For with the risen Jesus comes the promise of life for many. And just with Israel, as their spiritual death had implications for their physical bodies, the same is true for you and for I. Romans 8 teaches us that we have much in common with the people of Israel. So, for instance, Romans 8 verse 10 says this, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Romans chapter 8 verses 6 to 8 says that all people are dead in our hearts. That is, our hearts don't work properly. We don't love the Lord like we know we should. We don't trust Him like we know we ought. We don't delight in Him as is our duty. Our hearts are not just sick, they stop working. But the promise of Romans 8 is this. For those who believe in Christ Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and so, and I quote, our spirit is alive because of righteousness. We receive that new heart that was promised in Ezekiel 36. We are sprinkled clean, and we are given a new start. And it's not just that we are made spiritually well, because that which happens in our spirit has a profound implication for our bodies as well. So, for instance, the very next verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
who lives in you. I'm afraid that my broken tooth probably is the beginning of the end. And that end will come. I don't know when. But one day, unless the Lord Jesus returns first, I will be laid in the dust. And that's true for all of us. But there is another day coming when the word of the Lord will call out to all of the bones of all of the people who belong to him. That in every land, in every grave, in every sea, bones scattered, even those who have been burned and whose dust has been scattered to the four corners of the globe. The word of the Lord will go out. And the spirit, the wind, the breath of God will come. And the bones will hear and respond. And those who have received a new heart, those who have received the Spirit of God, Christian people, all Christian people, will be raised to new life and stand on their feet. And they will receive breath. And with that breath, we will sing the praises of the God who gives life. Every person has to do business with death. According to Luke Faree, it's a problem that is as yet unresolved. But for those who see Christ Jesus risen from the grave, for those who believe that God is a promise-keeping God, this question is one that we know the answer to. Son of man, can these bones live? I think the answer is yes. What do you think? Let's pray together. Spirit of life, please give us new hearts. Give us new hope. Give us new life. Help us to believe that without you our hearts are dead and we pray that you will give us thankfulness that you've called us to new faith and life and we pray that we would see others come to faith in Christ Jesus as well. And we pray that you would give us confidence in the Lord Jesus for behold, he was dead but he is alive forever and ever. And we pray that you would give us confidence because you are a faithful God, that that same spirit who is powerful to give us faith, that same spirit who is powerful to raise Christ Jesus from the dead, that that same spirit would, we pray, give life to these mortal bodies when the Lord Jesus returns. Amen.